spilled my fruit gummies. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry, bro. Oh my gosh. Good luck. Hello, everybody. My name is Lat Mackie, and this is Sequence Break, episode 25, the one, the only, Bro Sentia. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Yeah. How you doing, bro? Oh, I guess I'm okay, you know. Uh, just in case you didn't hear, I'm eating fruit gummies, everybody. And, so and apparently some of them are on the floor right now. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think I need to get them before we vacuum. The vacuum wouldn't be too happy about that, you know. Of course. Well, thank you so much for uh, spending a little bit of time. I'm super excited to talk with you. Uh, I, for those of you who haven't uh, ever watched a Procentia stream, um, uh, let me just highly recommend it before we even start this uh, episode. They're they're highly entertaining, and you will always, almost always, find a game perhaps that you may not have heard of before. <laughs> I mean, there you play so many different games on your stream. One of the things that struck me right away about your stream is the variety of games you bring to it. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I was going to say, usually they end up on uh, the lesser known side, the sort of occult of video games, uh, the, the ones that you wouldn't necessarily expect to show up on any stream or those that have been lost in time and space. You know, they got uh, Lovecrafted and <laughs> just absolutely you know, forgotten. And I appreciate the affection yeah. that you bring to them. Like these are games that, you know, they need love too. These, these games, every game, there was a game for somebody. Uh, that's the way I feel about it. There's like always a game for somebody out there, you know? Yeah. The thing is <laughs> I quickly found out that games that I can enjoy, even if they're bad are not always ones that everybody else can enjoy, <laughs> even though they're bad. It's like, I don't know when it comes to bad video games, uh, everybody has their own taste for what they'll be able to tolerate and what i tolerate yeah you might not you might not at all <laughs> that's that's totally fair and i appreciate the disclaimer you know <laughs> you know going into it uh, let's take this back a little bit tell us a little bit about your or origin story like when did you start playing video games what are kind of your first experience with it well back when i was a young kid <laughs> i'm trying to think uh, because one of my earliest memories was getting an NES. I believe I was five years old or something like that. But I know that my dad had an Atari before that, uh, specifically an Atari 800XL with a floppy drive. Uh, and I ended up playing a lot of those old school games. I love Jungle Hunt. I love Joust. I love what else was on it. <laughs> I, I'm not familiar with the 800. That we oh. had a disk drive. That's I've never heard of that. That's crazy. Dude, yeah, <laughs> it, it was the best. Uh, Oh, 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 yeah. Pitfall, Joust. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, the classics. <laughs> yeah, Millipede. A lot of the classics. Every once in a while, there was something that was really charming to me, like the game Firebug. That actually came in a magazine that people would enter. You know, they had to sit down and type out all of the code in order to get it on their computer. But, you know, it, it was short enough that it was actually doable. And I found some of those games uh, just playing that I absolutely love and found out, hey, this was probably somebody, you know, I don't think a relative because my relatives are lazy, but somebody <laughs> sat down and typed it out and then just copied from floppy to floppy to floppy until it got to us. I, I, there you go. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the Atari because in my family, we didn't have it, but we had the VIC-20, which was a kind of a cheap knockoff of an Atari oh, product, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. but Qbert and, and Pitfall are some of the big games that I remember from that era. I mean, you know, just you like you like Hubert. It was I'm the game we had. You. It yeah, had colors back right. then. That was a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. The Atari had all the colors. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a fair point. It, usually flashing at your eyes, you know, it wasn't. <laughs> That, that's why I wear glasses these <laughs> days because of the Atari. Well, I, I totally understand that. Um, did you, you know, the the interesting variety of games? Were you interested in playing the variety of games back then and exploring some games that maybe not your your friends or or, or siblings weren't playing or anything like that? I think back then, largely, uh, Atari games were interesting but extremely short. You know, uh, so usually about five minutes into playing one, you're like, I'm already bored. Let's go ahead and switch to something else. And so uh, because we had all of these floppies with tons and tons and tons of games of them, you know, we could just flip through, try something for a hot minute or two, flip to something else. And that's basically how I got to discover games that I loved and games that I hated. 
It's it's a great way to do. I mean, it's fortunate, you know, that sometimes I know some people that their family maybe only had one game for that week or for that month or something like that. So to have a variety of games must it's it's nice that you could experience some of those other games uh, at that time period, especially that young, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. With the NES, you know, it wasn't at all like that. Go down to the old Radio Shack and borrow. I'm serious, okay? We borrowed games from Radio Shack. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> borrowed. <laughs> no, no, no. You rented, okay? Wait, you Radio know, Shack had a rental program? Well, pff, ours did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't think you. this was exactly curated by the national, you know, they didn't have, you know, big Radio Shack executive be like, we need video games. We need to get them out there. Get them out there to the children. No, no, no. You know, but ours did because we were in a small town and there just weren't a lot of options. There was one other a store that would rent games and that was it. Radio Shack was able to undercut them. Yeah, they 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 didn't have as many options, but they definitely had the 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 price point. I'm glad you mentioned that because the older I get, the more fortunate how I re- I live in Southern California, and you know we had a, a rental store on every corner. You know you could go rent games or rent videos from almost any other place. So like I realized how fortunate that was that we were able to experience all these other games and all this other we had it available to us. You know. Yeah, that, that's true. I, I mean, to be fair, the video game store did have a decent amount of options. You know, that's how I got to experience Rocky and Bullwinkle for the NES first. Oh, uh, and breaking. then we ended up taking it back early because I, I thought it was broken. <laughs> but, it was that bad? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Even kid me knew that the game was absolutely intolerable. Absolutely not okay. So I'm curious, as a kid, were you the type of kid, did you like playing the games to completion? Um, it sounds like you liked the variety. So did, did you ever beat many games as a kid? Oh, I sucked. <laughs> like really bad. So very, very rarely. Uh, the thing is, you know, a lot of the platformers were extremely difficult. I do remember beating DuckTales 2 hmm. as a kid. And one of the first games that I completed as well was Mega Man 2. Ah. but. You know, we we own Mega Man three. I couldn't get through that. It's it's extremely difficult. I mean, that that's sort of what the NES difficulty was. You know, if you rented a game, they wanted to make sure that you had a hard time beating it, so that you would either rent it again or most likely go and buy it if you liked it. You know, I okay, I've never heard it described that way, but that I wonder is that part of is that why NES games are so difficult? Is that part of the difficulty? Yeah, if you ever play an NES game and get to a point where there's a really solid wall where it goes whoop yeah. up in difficulty, a lot of the times, yes, that was there to expand the gameplay. That was there specifically to make it so that you got more time for your money. Uh, so yeah. Oh, That's man. largely why they were so difficult to uh, encourage you to buy them so you could spend more time to complete them. I definitely understand and, and very I understand the, the you know the business models and plans that go into games so but to hear it described that I never even thought of that but that makes that that actually makes perfect sense it, it actually answers a lot of questions I have because I've been going oh, yeah. recently I've been going back and playing some of the games that I couldn't beat as a kid Castlevania 1 uh, uh, Mike Tyson's punch out is what I'm doing right now and it's like man the the, 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 the how the difficulty ramps up really fast <laughs> oh yeah I, I'd say that the first ring in punch out is relatively trivial and then after that you know it's trial and error figuring out what you can do in order to beat each of the bosses i've still never beaten well we didn't have mike tyson we had mr dream you know <laughs> the poor man's but, mike tyson <laughs> the poor man's mike tyson. <laughs> yeah uh yeah uh it's a tough fight. It's I've not I've put about two and a half hours in. I still haven't beat Tyson, and I, I I've like the guys who do it blindfolded make it look Zallard and Sinister make it look so easy. But it's apparently it's not it's not easy. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> oh yeah, like uh, I have finally beaten the the stupid uh, Mister Macho Man or whatever oh. his name is, mm-hmm. and oh I remember so many times as a kid getting knocked down and him just flexing his pecs. As you know, as the countdown goes down, and I'm like, why would he do this to me? Why? He was just so incredibly difficult. Uh, even at 37 years old, when they when he starts laughing at you, it still hurts. I'm not gonna lie. I got laughed at a lot of this game as I went down a bunch. And I'm like, this really, this is mean. It's just flat out mean. Oh, it's totally cruel. 
absolutely unfair. So when did you first then start discovering speedrunning? Like, how was your introduction? What were some of the things that got you? Like, when did you first hear about a speedrun? Well, honestly, it's because my sister. Uh, back, I believe, between 2005 and 2007, uh, that was when I was in Brazil. Long story short, back then I was a Mormon and a missionary, and I was out there being like, yo, hey, let's forsake all technology and live in some crappy really crappy houses and go around and talk to people about religion. And Essentia in the meantime was like, Ooh, video games. Uh, Brosentia's not here. And now I have all his games and she discovered speed running, specifically the speed demos archive forums and started doing them. Uh, and one of the first projects that she worked on, I believe was final fantasy nine, a segmented run, which actually held the record for a really, really long time. A lot of people basically didn't believe that RPGs could be speedrun at that time because of how long they would take. And she, she did it because I don't know. <laughs> it's like, well, I have kids and I need to find a way to keep myself entertained. I'm going to just sit for hours with video games and let my husband take care of them for once. Uh, anyways, uh, so when I got back, after I finished my uh my bachelor's degree i was living in my sister's house uh she goes by essentia and they ended up hosting sgdq there and about a month before she came to me and was like hey brian do you want to run a game for the marathon and i was like i've never done a speed run before but sure yeah let's do this and she's like okay what game and i'm like it's a game where you go fast. Mirror's Edge is a game where you go fast. Let's go ahead and do that. I had a month, okay? A month to learn this game. And it's not trivial. Uh, it still happened. You know, I still did the run. It's just uh, I was not exactly the best at it. It ended up being fine, though. It was a blast. Well, since you brought it up, a lot of those early GDQ runs seemed a bit more, I want to say casual, because that's not the right term, but they were, you know, they weren't the best, they weren't the world record holders in those games at the time, which I thought was really interesting about some of those early runs. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, GDQ originally started as a, a community thing, you know, and charity was sort of an afterthought when they actually made the marathon. They were like, you know, if we're going to be sitting around and playing games for this long, we might as well see if we can do some sort of charity. So they got it set up and it ended up being a lot more successful than they expected. So uh, I, I would say that at this point, it's definitely much more charity focused, but before it was largely uh, a combination between community coming together and uh, doing the charity. And, you know, part of me misses that. I really feel like uh, a lot of events have forgotten the idea of the community and bringing people together. So the uh, it's funny you mention that because the uh, the the inter the previous episode to this one was with uh, Spike Vegeta and uh, it's it, I was showing the video uh, from Ascension's house your sister's house and oh, yeah. you can see the kids running around and everything and you know there really is this sense of community even from very early on like that seemed like it was one of the foundations and or one of the reasons like it just seemed like a great gathering of people you know for us watching oh absolutely yeah uh, that that's what it was a whole bunch of people getting together hanging out sleeping on the floor uh playing video games together uh essentia's husband out there making food for everybody you know flipping pancakes and cooking up bacon they, they were good times honestly so if you don't want me asking, so this is, was that kind of your first experience with the speedrunning community? Or had you, because uh, I'm curious if uh, you had known anything about speedrunning before your sister came to you <laughs> and asked you to do something. I, I, I watched one of the marathon videos. I yeah. think I actually won a prize from the original Classic Games Done Quick uh, for a donation, you know. So I, I did watch them on occasion. I was like, oh, there's Essentia, you know, off having fun with her nerdy friends. Uh, and it, eventually, you know, I don't think uh, I would have really joined the speedrunning community at all if it didn't happen at my sister's house. That's uh, well, I'm glad it did. <laughs> and that's so yeah. awesome. Um, so Mirror Edge, Mirror's Edge, you brought up. Um, what was uh, trying to learn to speedrun that game? What was like your I mean, what's it like trying to learn a speedrun for the first time? <laughs> 
Well, at first I was like, let me just go ahead and play this on my own and see uh, how that's going to go, see if I can develop any techniques. And then I was like, wow, this is pretty much the worst to learn. And I have a very limited amount of time. So I went and found, oh my gosh, I think it was Oven Donkey's uh, runs of the individual levels you know he never put together a full run up until that point but was uh essentially showing how to do each level individually and so i went i watched i played i watched i played and just learned level by level after what he was doing you know i had very little in innovation when it came to that run because i just needed to learn something I, I, so that's interesting. That's that's uncommon. I haven't heard somebody being thrust into a speedrun such as that. When did you did you finally at some point get an opportunity to speedrun a game that you like wanted to, that you were excited about, or that you was a little more passionate about than perhaps what that you were just trying to find? Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, it. I know that the next year I, I ran two different games. One was Athena for the NES and the other one was Little Big Planet for the PlayStation 3. And Little Big Planet was one that I was genuinely interested in. Uh, I, I was able to find some new strats that other people never had used. Uh, I, I actually felt like I was able to add some stuff to that run. Uh, so honestly, I think that was the, the biggest in enjoyable one early on you know the, the year after that i ran final fantasy 4 and that ended up being a huge one for me i absolutely love it and oh crap i need to return to that like today <laughs> <laughs> wow still running uh, still running it today huh well i mean i've had a few years of a break but yeah i uh i I think I'm supposed to run it for something next week. So I got to de-rust real quick. You know, it's okay. It's just an RPG, you know, a week's enough. <laughs> of course, hours, however long of the hours you're going to put into that game. Eh, I just need a week to de-rust it. No problem at all. <laughs> I mean, after you learn a run, it's a lot easier to relearn it, you know? Uh, so it, it, I just got to brush it off. Well, That's what I, I got to do. If you don't want me asking. So I, I think RPGs sure. are an interesting thing for speed running because they're for me as a platformer most of the time, but RPG is my favorite type of, of genre of game to play uh, of all time. I, uh, Zelda, Final Fantasy is all of them. I love them all. Okay. And, the the amount of time you have to put into learning an RPG speedrun is intimidating, and I'm curious if there's any, you know, how, how have you developed like getting to because you're also you have a full time job. Like, how do you find the time to speedrun any RPG, nonetheless Final Fantasy IV? I mean, technically, right now I'm, uh, I'm streaming full time, so luckily it's a little bit easier yeah. these days. Uh, <laughs> however, for Back when I was doing Final Fantasy IV, I was going uh, to grad school, I believe, full time. Uh, also, you know, I was teaching during that time. I had another side gig going on. Uh, I, I've had too many jobs at the same time. Okay, don't do that to yourself. And yeah, at that time, I was trying to learn Final Fantasy IV, and uh, I don't know how I did it. <laughs> uh, but generally, what I did. Uh, in order to make it easier was I, I found somebody else's notes. I had them send them over to me and I knew some things that I want to add into the run because uh, I, I found something that was a really huge glitch in the game. Uh, and so what I did was essentially took their notes, learned how it went, made changes specifically for what I want to do with the run. And then uh, ended up putting it all together. There were quite a few things that ended up saving a good amount of time. And uh, yeah, I, I'd say that if somebody has done a run before, steal. <laughs> okay, stealing is the best thing when it comes to speed runs. Well, okay, I'm gonna. I, I I totally agree with you. By the way, I have like very very few of my own original strats for any game I've ever run. But uh, one thing you touched upon, and I think, is that you reached out to a member of the community to help with some notes and stuff like that. That comes up time and time again is participating or 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 connecting with people who already run the game because most of us are passionate about the games we run, you know, and we're we're oh, we're yeah. all about sharing that type of information and stuff. You say stealing, I say sharing. It's like the same thing, right? <laughs> well, people steal from me. It's fine. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, steal everybody be 
you know, that's sort of the thing with speed running, the, the sense of community again, re returning to that. Many of the video game communities uh, do put a lot of work in order to develop strats and notes and such. RPG communities definitely have a lot of documents if you want to get really, uh, really down into the nitty gritty. Yeah, no. Dog developer in the chat says borrowing, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's all, it's all, it's all the same words. It's we're very much uh, the information's out there, so it's not like you can you can gatekeep it anyway. So yeah, I'd say you know, uh, if at all possible, give people credit. Yeah, absolutely. You know? uh, but at the same time, you know, there are some strats that I probably done in games that were first found by some person who lived in the 1800s or something you know i have no idea who this ancestor of video game speed running is but i still use it you know so so you know nowadays you still you know you i still see you picking up new games and new speed run stuff do you have any sort of process or, or like how you decide that you're going to choose a game to speed run nowadays the most common thing for me is finding a game that uh either doesn't have any speed runs to it or uh, has speed runs, but I am able to find something that I can see is an improvement. You know, I'm really interested in exploring new glitches and exploring new ground that other people haven't done before. So in, in general, that's what I go after. Mind you, I also usually focus on bad games, uh, games that make me laugh. As long as I'm still having fun with it, then I, definitely like to play it even more. <laughs> I That's a great approach. I love it. I think it's so awesome. Um, we talked about it just a little bit uh, before, but I'd like to bring it up again. Games and Quick and kind of your long history with it. Um, you know, as it started to become, I, you know, did when you guys, when, when you first participated in Games and Quick, did you ever see it becoming the juggernaut that it is nowadays as far as a speedrunning event goes? I think... Uh, with HDDQ, considering how small it was, uh, I think by the second year, just because there was a huge amount of growth and we were still having it in Essentia's house, uh, you know, it started getting really cramped. And I think people did sort of foresee, yes, we're going to have to move to bigger venues. I'm not sure if we knew it would become the size that it is today. And honestly, I don't think we've reached the, the cap yet. It's still going to get bigger. Uh, honestly, you know, there, there are plenty of giant video game events out there and we just have a teeny weeny percentage of all the people who attend going to those because of the big get, uh, caps that we have for the various, uh, registration. But yeah, I, I don't think we've hit the peak yet. Uh, it's I'm, still to come. I'm glad to hear you say that because uh, when I attended GDQX this year and it was at TwitchCon, um, as soon as you go into like the main place where all the other Twitch stuff is going on, you realize how small and how tidy the speed ready community is oh, yeah. and oh, how tidy the GDQ is compared to every, the gajillions of things that are, I mean, everything else. I mean, it, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, humbling and, and pretty interesting to see, you know, especially because yeah. I don't. I don't venture out of the of the speedrunning community very much, or the retro community uh, off of Twitch. So, I, you know, little did I know there's all these other games that are just huge and big and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, like you do have a couple of the giant names in speedrunning, you know, obviously who run some of the games that are a lot more popular. But a lot of these little niche corners that we have with speedruns, with games that you know either nobody knows or nobody plays anymore these days, you know that. There's such a small percentage of the gaming world that's invested in that. At the same time, I, I think more people are getting exposed to the fact that people are exploring these new, janky, strange games out there. You know, it, it, it's growing right now. Absolutely. And and I've, I, I'm always surprised, but I shouldn't be surprised when I meet teenagers or kids in their early 20s who are picking up these speed runs and stuff like that. It's not just for people of my age who, you know, the nostalgia factor. Like there's a, these games present an interesting challenge to young people as well as uh, myself who might be just a little bit older than the, you know, the, well, the I, overwatch player i sort of think with that you know uh, especially with nes games they're very easy to follow they're very easy to see what happens and because there are a lot of strats already i'd say they're pretty welcoming for new players you know a, a lot of them at least you're not going to get a perfect run sure you know you're not going to get the hardest strats but they're usually smaller 
easier strats that don't lose a lot of time, you know? So I, I tend to think especially platformers are very welcoming uh, to new players. Totally agree. And one of the things I notice all the time is like the Celeste leaderboards. I think there's over a thousand people who've submitted a Celeste speedrun, And essentially that's like a 16 bit era type game, you know, <laughs> with just, a, but it's so compelling. It, it's, it's very captivating a game like that, that is, uh, you know, just hits on the nostalgia vibe, but hits on stuff for new gamers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'd, I'd say that Celeste is one of those prime examples of something uh, that holds onto old school difficulty, but does it in a way that is forgiving. Right. A lot of the older games, you know, if you died, you had a long death animation. You had a long time to get back into the level. And, you know, a, a lot of the times you lo lose two or three minutes because of one small mistake. Celeste, what do you lose? Like three seconds? Yeah. <laughs> And then you're right back into the game. That's why it's such a perfect, I don't want to say perfect, but it's such a good speed run. And I have never attempted it myself, but I, it look because you can keep, there's always something you can improve upon. You know, there, as far as I know, there hasn't been the perfect run. I mean, there's still, still people running it, you know, at the highest of levels. So. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, and it's mostly that level of forgiveness that even if you die, you are not out of it. You're not out of a race. You still can make a personal best. Uh, I, I feel like that makes Celeste essentially one of the perfect speedruns out there. Completely agree with you. Completely agree. So bring it, tying this back a little bit to some of that uh, GDQ stuff. When did, did you start sure. streaming around this time that you started to participate? Like when did you start the whole streaming uh, thing? <laughs> okay. So yes, uh, I, I did. On Essentia's channel, actually, on her Twitch channel, I started doing a little bit of streaming, practicing up for SGDQ. I believe I was doing uh, Mirror's Edge and a little bit of Little Big Planet after SGDQ happens. And then finally, I made my own. I believe it was still over on Justin TV before they changed to Twitch TV. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would stream over there. And then I started getting involved on SDA. PJ would run a bad video game exchange there, right? And I was like, I want to participate in this. I want to give somebody a bad game and get a bad game in exchange. So the game that I prepared to give away uh, was The Wizard of Oz Super Nintendo because it's bad. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> so bad. Uh, and uh, the, the, the basic rule was that you couldn't send a game unless you had actually beaten it. Oh, that's uh, fair. That's first. a good rule. Yeah. So, uh, because the person who received it would have to speed run it right. and uh, have to deal with that. So I, I spent a good several days trying to beat Wizard of Oz. And, oh, it's so hard. But I finally did it. And I sent it. The person who got it was Dragon Dark. And he sent me NES Athena. And... Let's just say that Athena uh, was a special time in my life. Because <laughs> back then, uh, I ended up moving away from Essentia's house uh, and moving into an apartment with some other people out, out in Logan, some friends. And uh, there were times where I just sat alone trying to get a recording of Athena. You know, I practiced practiced on stream, but I didn't have a capture card or anything. So when I actually did run attempts, I just sat at the TV on my own playing Athena. And there were times that I played it for like six hours straight trying to get the run. Uh, and in fact, I... Yeah, I think that the time that I finally got a run that was worth submitting to SDA uh, was after about 12 hours of gameplay. And with Athena, that's not good, okay? That that damages you, uh, and it, it, it breaks you. <laughs> okay, okay dog, I, dog brought it up in the chat. What makes uh, Athena so bad? What makes Athena so bad? Okay, uh, so the original Athena was an arcade game put out in Japan, and uh, the company that made it was like, hey, we need to contract this developer to make it for NES because people are going to love it. The arcade game wasn't any good either. Uh, but yeah, they made a port to the Nintendo. Unfortunately, the company was extremely crappy uh, by, by that uh, if you look at any of the games that they made, I can't remember their name, but if you look at any of the other games that they made or ported, they were all sort of traumatizing games. And they made Athena. So Athena's main problems 
Uh, how many can I name? I'm looking, watching a video of it. This looks this looks really rough. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's say bad frame rate, bad animation, yeah. lag is really terrible. Oh, if you move from the there, there are two layers to the stage. If you move from the upper layer to the bottom one, it takes time. The screen goes black and then loads the second area in. If you go from the bottom stage and fall into a pit, you go back to the beginning of the stage, but it doesn't always count as you dying. Oh my God. Uh, the bosses are extremely difficult. Oh, and also, unless you know how to uh, get it iframes, you don't have any. If you're just sitting there, you pretty much just get comboed to death. Uh, archers, for some reason, if they shoot you and you're ducking, they one-shot you a lot of the times uh, or just destroy you. Oh, and also, when you take damage, you can lose items that you've collected, including key items that are needed to beat certain areas. Oh, and also, if you get to the world of hell, which is after the world of ice, uh, there was an item that you had to collect in the world of ice in order to beat the world of hell. Uh, and if you die, you lose all your items, which means that you are essentially softlocked for the entire game. You literally cannot beat the game without resetting uh, in order to get through that. Because guess what? You can't go back to previous levels. <laughs> to collect not. the key items Why that you lose that? from dying. Uh, oh, what else? Uh, there are some bosses that require a specific weapon to use, and there's no indication that the weapon you have is not working. Uh, there is a maze level, okay? There's a maze level that you have to go through, and it doesn't tell you this in the game, but you have to get to the end with a harp. But not any harp. You have to get the right harp, not the cursed harp. Because if you get the cursed harp, you have to do the maze again. Oh, but, but it doesn't tell you any of this, okay? Finally, you get through all of this crap. The, it, honestly, nobody gets through it without having some sort of guide that tells them what to do. Okay, even Mexican Runner, who was very insistent, I think it took him 30 or 40 hours to beat this platformer, uh, and he had to ask for help because it's just so incredibly cryptic. You are not going to beat it without some sort of help. Finally, the final boss has three flying heads that... <laughs> just combo you and you have to and if you get to the final boss and you don't have the correct harp you can't kill it and there's no indication why you can't uh there it's so bad okay it is so incredibly bad you need to go play this yeah it sounds like a game i i gotta tell you you're, you're the way you're describing it it sounds like the worst game i've ever heard of it, I, I have a hard time thinking of a game that is more anger inducing uh than athena this you is know, interesting. It, uh, it's just oh high up there. Felt, felt up in the chat says it's rumored the the development company was rumored to just be one guy. That sounds kind of crazy too. Yeah, my Chronics. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they also made Miracle Rapid. If you're familiar with that game, uh, yeah, it's it's also another game that literally made me throw my controller. I do not throw controllers. Okay, I am a very calm, sophisticated person. <laughs> Oh, I threw that on the ground because I was so angry. Oh my god! I'm looking at the leaderboard too, and there's actually three people who have submitted a run to this game. That's uh, that's quite amazing, actually. To which one? Uh, to to um, uh, uh, Athena. Athena. Yeah, yeah I, I think Dragon Dark has passed me on that. Dragon I don't Dark. care. Hey, bro. <laughs> You're gonna have that. Yeah. You're go not ahead, gonna grind man. that game out again, bros? Are you saying? Look, I don't know. If he goes and actually gets a run done of Wizard of Oz one of these days, the game that I gave you years ago, Dragon Dark, years, it's been years. Called okay. out. Yeah, if you do that, I'll go ahead and beat your run for Athena. Whatever. <laughs> oh, I love it, man. I, I just, I, that, but I mean, that's what, I, I, I don't know. I, I appreciate the games like this exist, but maybe some of them, I don't know. This it's, it's nice that they're, they, I always try, we were talking, we started off this conversation by saying, hey, there's games for everyone. I'm not sure this game is for everyone. If there's somebody out there no. for this game. <laughs> no, uh, I, I'd honestly say that this game isn't for anyone. Like it's, it's really, really terrible. But the thing is, you know, uh, because I was doing a deal that he would speed run a game, I would speed run a game 
game, you know, and we did the exchange. I felt like I needed to do it. And honestly, it sort of is fascinating to go into a game that you're like, I absolutely hate this. Let's find the best way to beat this and just get this project back behind me. I would not recommend that for everybody who does speed runs. Sure. But it, it ended up getting me involved in the bad game community. And even through all the crap, there's some joy about being able to look back and laugh at how terrible that piece of game was. That, that's a very good point. At least we, we have those memories. We will have the memories of it. Um, you, you know, I, I, I can't remember if I remember hearing you say this on stream or somewhere else, but um, you mentioned something about uh, streaming being this uh, performance platform. You get a chance to, yeah. you know, explore some avenues of your personality and things like that, that maybe you might not otherwise. And I, I've noticed that watching your stream, you really bring that to the stream and it's it's entertaining to watch and stuff like that. Um, what's Could you maybe describe a little bit if you've got some background on that or just something you've always enjoyed doing and why that ends up on your stream? Well, I mean, I ever since high school, I was really interested in acting. I mean, I guess I was in the middle school play, Hey George, you know, and oh, I can't remember the, the other one that I was in, but oh, I'm, I'm just trying to remember how the song goes. Do, 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 when I saw that dragon. Da, da, da. Yeah, it was a really crappy play and sounds wonderful sounds like a great video game uh I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. it wasn't the best but then junior high i did more acting got to high school and i got really involved with the improv club and that's sort of because i don't think i had a personality really before high school I, i'm not gonna lie i was very monotone and very boring and i loved math and school you know, I, I was the quintessential nerd, but I, I got involved in improv and I realized that there's some power to making other people laugh. Uh, when I got to college as well, we started a troupe. We actually had some uh, paid performances that we did. So I guess technically I was a professional as soon as you receive any money. You're, pro. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a professional at that point. Oh, yeah. Uh, and streaming in a way became that to me as well you know obviously when you first start out there are very few people watching you i think it's a lot easier to grow quickly these days but back then you know hitting 10 people watching was a lot of work but you know so i i just kept playing these games probably having things that weren't super exciting uh because you know, I, I was exploring what I really enjoyed putting on. And eventually I settled into a point where, you know, I just enjoyed more than playing a game that I liked, playing a game that would make other people laugh. You know, I, I guess that's what I've always wanted to do. I wanted to entertain people and make them happy. I feel like I'm still being genuine to myself when I do that. Uh, and that's something that is really important to me as well. Not just going out there and acting. It's going out there and doing something that, you know, I, I would probably enjoy doing on my own anyway. You know, that's come up a couple of different times for, uh, especially for streamers who are doing this full time, is finding your own voice and kind of being true to yourself while doing the performance and also doing the speed, doing all these things all at once and stuff like that. And that's interesting that uh, even for yourself, it took some time to find that and develop it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think back at that time, oh, geez, it was it was hard to even find ways to build a community, you know, uh, because speedrunning had its own community uh, over at SDA. But yeah, it, it took a long time for us to like find people who liked watching bad video games and liked watching the punishment that they issued out. Uh, so yeah, it, it took a lot of work. It's it's interesting you mentioned the niche too, be, the niche, because, you know, uh, I run TurboGrafx-16 games, so I'm a niche within a niche within a niche. Like, you know, the smaller you get, but that being said, I am so fortunate that I have found a community that is into the same stuff I am. This is the bad games as well. You know, it's like, uh, uh, you're right. I it, mean, it's the TurboGrafx. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Dang it! But no, but you but you bring up a really good point though that that it, because we we are finding ourselves the community is growing there are there's more people in the pot so you might find more people that are interested in the stuff that you're interested in as well. Yeah, uh, honestly, that's a lot of what I want to do, uh, and that ended up helping me start the bad video game tournament that I put on, you know, Cusa Grande, because I wanted 
to uh, find a way to bring more people into bad video games and give them experiences that they had never had before. And even better, I don't have to play them. <laughs> right. so, yeah, one day I... It was about four or five years ago. I was sitting around thinking, you know, I would love to put on a show uh, to bring people together and have them experience some of these games because there are so many bad games out there. Just dumpsters full. Okay. And finally, uh, finally, I... I just realized what I can do is put on this show. It took about 15 minutes of planning. I put together <laughs> Google Docs and sent it online. Honestly, I had no idea that it would be going after one year. I thought it would be a one and done thing. But, you know, it's... <laughs> what was the first game played on Cusa Grande? Oh, my gosh. Look, I, I'm going to have to look this up. Just a second. Just yeah, a second. No okay, I've got the document here. Don't panic. Back to the Future NES. Oh, there we go. Okay, classic, classic. That's a great one to start with. <laughs> yep. Then Wizard of Oz for Super Nintendo, followed by RoboCop 3 for the Super Nintendo as well. Never played that one, but I love it. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> okay, we're definitely getting some questions about Cusa Grande. So how did the uh, name come about? How did you name the... I was trying to think of a name uh, that would work for the tournament. And I actually asked Twitter. I'm, I'm like, I want to put on a bad video game tournament. Uh, you know, I don't want to have something that just sounds boring. Any ideas? And I can't re even remember who it was. There was just some random person on Twitter. It was like, Cusa Grande. And I'm like, this is perfect. <laughs> this is perfect because it's a portmanteau of Cuso or Kusoge, which is generally bad video games. It's also a swear in Japanese. Oh, uh, yeah. For purposes, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, this is going to be a PG, PG-13 stream, but whatever. The title can have a swear in it. There That's you go. Cool. <laughs> and then Grande, Spanish for big. And simply put, making a portmanteau of two words from two different languages was probably the most disgusting thing that I had heard. And I thought it was perfect. Um, did it start out as a, uh, a race or as a competition between players or was it, uh, was it something different in the early going? Oh, no, it, it, it was still in the race format in general, uh, the winner's bracket, they had to play two hours instead of one, hmm. which is what we generally do now. Uh, so two hours in a game and then whoever went to the loser's bracket, they all played bootlegs. <laughs> uh, the loser's bracket was 100% bootleg. <laughs> So good. Quasi asks a good question. What defines a bad game? <laughs> you know, it's a fair question, but uh, it depends. Okay, because right? there are, no, no, no. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that there are objective ways to determine whether a game is good or bad. Uh, and let me just say that there's a difference between bad and unenjoyable, mm. and then bad and enjoyable. And mostly, you know, I think when people think of bad video games, they just think low quality. Uh, or, you know, something that they didn't spend much time on. And that generally isn't the case. A lot of the times, a lot of work is put into these games, but there are big deadlines. So the, the biggest thing that I dislike when it comes to bad video games are the ones that end up being mediocre. That mm. is, uh, the gameplay is very formulaic, very boring, uh, and it generally ends up not being too interesting to watch. And then bad games that end up being more enjoyable are the games that actually tried something new and horribly failed at it. Uh, those, I think, are genu genuinely enjoyable. You know, if, if you think about Athena being ported from arcade to NES, uh, on arcade it had many systems that uh, generally weren't found in old school NES games because they were complicated. So figuring out how to crack those apart and fit those into an older console, uh, it, they failed absolutely terribly. And they failed with the music and everything about it is pain. But at the same time, there's something intriguing about how bad it was put together. Another game like that, Kid Cool for the NES, but uh, created by Vic Tokai, that game specifically has physics that you will never find in any other nes video game and the reason is that they're really bad but they tried something new and honestly it's one of the fastest paced video games when you play it well it's one of the fastest paced video games on the nes
I think that's actually those are that I agree. Okay, that's I appreciate that's that is some objective criteria for uh, for defining kind of what fits into that uh, genre. Um, how do you choose the games for Cusa Grande? <laughs> well, I used to choose them. Uh, Back when I first started, I think, honestly, I went through and combed through a lot of the old AVGN video games, you know, angry video game nerd. Uh, he really had fun ranting about these crappy games and, uh, you know, it was a good place to start. Uh, once I started getting to the second tournament, I, I looked to other sources. Uh, I, honestly, I went Googling, searching through lots of people's lists, occasionally just picking out a game and seeing what it felt like. But it still mostly remained on the Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Game Boy, uh, with a few other, th or Game Gear, Genesis, whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> that thing Boy yeah. Genesis, yeah. you know same Mega thing. something whatever uh. yeah. it was the third year though that i decided it would probably help to have some other people coming in and bringing in new types of games and honestly uh you know that's the first year that we had game masters who went had their own curated list uh and sent out games and that is when we really started getting some huge variety you know uh at, at this year I'm, I'm trying to think the different platforms that we've had in Cusa Grande 4 and 5 because almost every console that you can think of uh we've we've dug a little bit into it we've had turbo graphics we've had sega cd we've had uh i think we even had the vic we had TI-99, okay? The personal <laughs> home computer, TI-99. Uh, we had the mobile GameCom, okay? Put together by Tiger Electronics, the mobile GameCom. We've oh had a God. game from that. So, yeah, just simply, but I'm always surprised. It, it, it's uh, I, I do have to appreciate because I have seen TurboGrafx 16 in the <laughs> most recent iterations of Cusa Grande, which is great. But you're right. I, the, the variety of platforms now has uh, become quite a bit. Um, how does one participate? I noticed and, and there, it seems like there are a bunch of people uh, participating in the most recent iteration. How does it work? Uh, yeah, there are a lot of people. Uh, so generally, I think around the end of the year, we do this once a year. Around the end of the year, I have a submission form that I put out on Twitter. Uh, I talk about it on Twitch all the time and also on the Discord server. Uh, and people just send in their names and uh, apply to be a part of the tournament and i try to keep things as low stress as possible for the players you know if they can't play on a certain day that's fine they can do another day you know uh especially early on uh because the tournament runs most of the year <laughs> well, i'm not really in a rush to get through all of these games was there more than 100 people that signed up this year in for 570 oh my god Some, Jesus. yeah there are a lot of people wow but that's awesome. And, I mean, anybody can can participate. It's, or at least you've seen yeah. like anybody can participate. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, like as long as you have at least a potato that you can use to stream, then you're going to be fine. You know, we, we have some people in Australia who Australia's Internet is basically the the canon stream type of Internet that they've got. You know, they, they got to shout the ones and zeros into the cup. Uh but we still do that as long as they can get a stream live and their computer can run an emulator in general, we're going to be okay with that. Yeah. That, that's awesome that it's that uh, open. Uh, you know, I, uh, Gong Zero says Apple II seems to be an untapped Kuso reservoir. Well, there you go. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, we haven't had Apple II. <laughs> but I do know a couple games from Apple II that would work. Be perfect. Yeah. Oh well, I, it sounds like there that it, it's not going to be uh, slowing down anytime soon. And I every match I will say is entertaining, whether it's from the gameplay, the people participating, the commentary. Uh, I, I think I only found Cusa Grande during four, so I'm a more recent uh, viewer of Cusa Grande. But the commentary is always awesome too. You try to bring in people who know the game, like it's really interesting stuff. We try to do research midstream, and then we always. <laughs> get distracted by something else I don't, I don't know commentary this year has definitely been a little bit more out there than it has before and it's not always related to the games but we're always having fun uh, that's something that uh honestly is more on purpose than on accident and here's why a lot of 
tournaments that go on in speed running, I tend to think are boring uh, because, you know, how many times can you watch the same game over and over and over again? Uh, and there are some people who are really going to enjoy it. And then some people who are just like, I don't care about Link to the Past anymore. Okay. All of my love is gone. My emotions are destroyed because of Link to the Past. But, but this, you know, every hour uh, match that we have, it's going to be something different. And you know that if we're bored, we're going to find some thing to talk about that's not going to be boring uh you know and we're not going to just fake excitement we will talk about how boring the game is because some of them are <laughs> but you know every because the game masters are going through games finding all of these strange gems uh i love being surprised by games that i had no idea existed uh, so I'd say that that is part of the charm. You don't have to know the game to understand what's going on because guess what? The players don't know the game uh, to enter. You don't have to be highly skilled. A lot of the people who are entering, you know, it's their first time to stream really. They don't do anything else and they know that they're probably not going to do well, but that's fine. The, the point is to participate, have fun, you know, and after you get through that, you have a communal story within your group. Four people who played the same terrible game have a little bit of that connection now. And it's all part of building the community around bad video games. Uh, I, it's great. I, I, so well, so well said, uh, you know, and, and speaking about some of these events and, and things you're talking about, uh, you have an affiliation, I would say with RPG limit break. Uh, I, can you tell well, us, a little, yeah. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about how RPG, what is it? And then how it kind of got started. Tell us a little bit about the story. RPG Limit breaks a little bit more of uh, a formal. You gotta yeah, yeah. practice a bit for it. You gotta go put the professional face back on there, right? Yeah. <laughs> for five ninety five, you can go ahead and get all of your RPGs broken. No, our <laughs> RPG Limit Break uh, specifically is a speedrunning marathon for RPGs. Obviously, uh, they they tend to be a little bit longer. Back. Uh, several years ago, there was a marathon called Crystals for Life, and uh, it ended up falling apart for for a few reasons. I, I think a lack of organization uh, was a large part of that, and people really wanted to have an RPG marathon still go on, but uh, knew that it couldn't keep going from that one. So uh, some of us came together. We put together a new one that started at Ascension's house again. <laughs> That's the birthplace of marathon. It has to be, apparently. If you're going to be successful, start your marathon at Ascension's house. Well, I was going to say, she has so many children that <laughs> might as well have marathons as your children, too, you know? <laughs> Why not? Uh, anyways, uh, so we came together, put on RPG Limit Break over at her house for a couple years, and uh, ended up moving to some larger venues. That tends to... Uh, generally focus on better games or games that people enjoy. Although occasionally there are going to be bad video games in that marathon as well. It's been pretty successful as well. I, I, I can't remember the total that we hit last year. It was somewhere around 200 or $300,000 for uh, the national Alliance on mental illness, but that has been fun. And I think that, uh, just because of where I was and who I was talking to at that time is largely why I got involved with that because I don't speed run very many RPGs these days. They take too long. Okay. Uh, they're so long, but at the same time, I, I love the, I love people's passion. And again, it was a large part of the community. The community wanted to keep an event going and uh, because I was related to Essentia and uh, rather excited about Final Fantasy 4 for a time that's largely how I got involved in helping that come about. Did it start was there a fundraising or, or charity aspect to it when it started and, and how was that or how and why is that important to the whole thing? <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, there certainly was. They knew that they wanted to do charity. In fact, they still wanted to carry on the charity from uh, from, from the previous marathons, Crystal for Live. That, that would be with JDRF. Uh, but we started looking. I actually went and met with several different charities, and uh, we met with the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And during that meeting, I actually found out that the person who was helping 
uh, who was the head over in Utah, was from my high school and actually graduated with me. And it was a like just so surreal because I was like, you do not look at all like I I knew you. I, I knew you before. You are nothing like what I thought you were. You know, and it, it was a really cool way to reconnect with a friend. Not only that, but uh, she ended up offering tons of things and tons of help in order to help this event take off. You know, I, I think that that is something that can sometimes be a little bit difficult. Charities uh, are interested in the idea, but they don't really know how to help uh, get the marathons kicked off. And she just threw everything at us to help. That's um, pretty awesome. But it, I think it's interesting, like you, you know, you've besides, you know, but these are two games done quick and RPG limit break. You've done a lot of participation with charity and, and finding these things. Um, oh, yeah. Why is that important to you? For me, I, I think that it depends on which charity you're talking about. Honestly, <laughs> uh, a, a large part of charity in general uh, and the reason why we reach out for a lot of charity, I think, is that uh, a lot of people historically have viewed video game players as lazy people who aren't doing real things. Uh, and we wanted to find a way to give back and show, hey, you know, we are putting a lot of work into this, but we, you know, we want to be able to use this as a way to give back to the community and not just be, hey, these lazy people hanging around at home, uh, sitting there and playing the latest Metroids. So, that I think is one of the big inspirations for why it got started. Nami in particular though, is pretty important to me. I've got mental health issues. I've got ADHD. I've got PTSD. I've got a few things going on here. Uh, and honestly, it, it's something that uh, because they're raising awareness and letting people know that, Hey, these are things that uh, a lot of people have, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, getting rid of the stigma and being able to talk about it openly has been huge for me. I've definitely talked about things on Twitter that have been going on in my mind and uh, some of the changes. And I'm finally at a point where I'm mostly like most days are good and that's great. Yeah, because I couldn't say that maybe even a, a couple of years ago. I couldn't say most days were good. I appreciate you bringing that up because you have mentioned your Twitter and you've mentioned how treatment has helped you and how these things, it's been a, this journey for you. And you've shared some really uh, uh, stories that have really affected me personally. I, I, I've sure. never suffered from anything that you have, have suffered from, but I, I've been willing, I've been, I've shared your stories with people I know who I'd rather not say who they are, but like That's that fine. are very close to me who have suffered from the, and And it's interesting how it's helped them. And I, 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 what kind of prompted you to be so public about it? This is, these are personal stories. I was, it's, it's, I, I'm thankful, so thankful for it. But I'm curious <laughs> why you decided to, wh wh how you felt comfortable enough to do that, say some of those things in public. Uh, I think I just became a grouch. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, oh, like I, I realized, you know, uh, there are people who have large followings who maybe drop one message every once in a while, like, hey, go mental health. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, you know, while that's encouraging, people don't really feel comfortable talking about it publicly. Right. And I'm like, you know, I, I've been through some stuff that I think is really important that other people know about, that they're they're not alone. And every once in a while, you know, I post things, I share some things and uh, sometimes end up feeling pretty terrible for a day or two after because it, it's either very personal or some people message me and like try to try to convince me that I'm wrong about various aspects. Right. And it, it can be rough, but almost always when I share some of those personal stories, I get a message from somebody who's like, I was finding like, I just need somebody to talk to. And I'm able to talk to them. It's it's from my understanding, it's something where if you have some experience with it and you're willing to talk about it, people will. Some people need help that way. You know, they need somebody who's gone through something that they've gone through, and uh, it's why I'm so thankful for you sharing some of that stuff because it's it's helped me relate to people who I care a lot about uh, in a way that I wasn't able to before. So uh, thank you yeah, for that. I, I think that a lot of the times, you know, uh, the big stories that everybody knows are the ones that are the tragedies. Right. The ones that uh, are highly negative, mm -hmm. whereas uh, 
largely, I don't think that needs to be the case. You know, to, to know that somebody out there has been uh, at very low spots, but has managed to get through them and is mostly living good at this point, I, I think can be helpful. Uh, and honestly, the more that we can talk about things uh, and not make them as serious, I think is helpful. You know, I, the fact that I can joke a little bit about my own mental illness is helpful for me. It's healing for me. Uh, sure, some people might think that it's maybe not as kosher to do, but honestly, I, I feel like humor is absolutely a needed part of uh, part of healing. Uh, absolutely. And speaking about some of that humor, uh, if you ever, uh, I, I, some, one of the ways that I think I found, uh, you and, and your stream and all that kind of stuff was some of your, uh, the voices that you would do on various runs, uh, whether they're at GDQs or for my own run. Um, when did you start, when did you start doing some of these voices? Has that been something that just, you've lived with your whole life? I mean, I did improv, so I always did dumb voices, uh, at least ever since high school. Nice. You know, I, I don't think... I don't know why. I, I was a very monotone person when I was growing up. You so know? surprising. I can't and, believe that. I can't, I can't imagine that Rosentia. <laughs> yeah. But that was me back in the day. And I, I found that, you know, I, I like to make people laugh and doing weird, stupid voices is always something that can work. And, uh, you know, just uh, jumping into a little bit of a character, playing around with that, uh, you know, it, it's almost, I suppose it's a small bit of improv just on the spot, putting together voices, but at the same time, it's, it's just fun. I, it makes me laugh. It makes me have fun. It's the way and you I'm enjoy playing the game. Right, exactly. It's, it's do what you do. <laughs> oh my God. That's the best. That, that, by the way, that advice comes up so often. If, when you start streaming or when you start speedrunning, do stuff that's fun for you. Like that's just like the, the ultimate piece of advice. Oh yeah. Like, uh, I'm imagining if you're Michelle Obama, you're probably not going to come on stream and be like, Hey, let me tell you about, let me tell you about the chickens in my backyard. No, be Michelle Obama. Okay. Go ahead and be polite and maybe make some angry faces occasionally. And you you've got it. Okay. But, uh, you know, don't fake who you are. Don't put on an act unless you just naturally do that all the time anyway. You know, I, I think that the more you stream, the more you get comfortable with yourself and the more that you find what is fun for you to do. And uh, honestly, there, there are times where there's dialogue up on the screen and I'm like, I am, uh, there's just so much. I'm not reading all of this. No, it's not <laughs> worth it. Just get through it uh, quickly. But then there are other times, you know, that, it's fun for me. I do mean, what you enjoy. I can't remember what RPG I was playing through, but I made the mistake of starting to do voices. And by about an hour and 15 minutes in my voice, I just couldn't talk anymore. I had gone through so much of the, I tried doing voices. I'm like, nope, this, you know, not for me, but I'm glad there are people like you who do that. <laughs> well, I don't, I have the same thing happen quite a bit, honestly, especially if they're RPGs, I start doing voices and then half an hour in, I'm like, Oh, I'm so bored. I just want to get through all this dialogue uh, and get to the fun part. So, absolutely. Okay. Do what so, you like. So, any uh, speedrunning projects that you plan on taking on in the future? Have you made any? Have you made any choices, or just see what's happening? What's next? There are a few things that uh, are going on right now. Next week, Corn Dan and I. Corn uh, Dan is somebody who is on my channel quite a bit, uh, giving out games and doing commentary. We're going to be starting a show that's called "Don't Make a Sport," which essentially is. Uh, putting on a show with people running various games or doing a high score attempts or just essentially if they have something that they think would be entertaining, we'll put them on. And if we're bored, then we take them off. <laughs> uh, and that that's the only rule. Don't make us bored. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you tweet about this and I love this idea. I can't wait to watch this. Maybe even I was trying to think of something I might even submit to this because I thought it's such an awesome idea. Well, I, I mean, I've, I've talked to other people and uh, there, there's a very real possibility we're going to have somebody play some Carmen San Diego. <laughs> and yeah, the, the rule is after 10 minutes, if we're bored, we move on to the next thing. And odds are that's going to be, well, especially since there are really specific versions of Carmen San Diego. I think that one was uh north dakota where in north dakota is carmen san diego and nobody cares okay right. we don't care about north dakota that's like a universal thing in the entire country i don't think north dakota cares about north dakota but 
Uh, anyways, I'll be excited if we if we do see that to watch 10 minutes and then shut them down and say, we're bored. <laughs> we're moving on to the next one. But, you know, people going into it often will know that it's not going to be the most entertaining and that's fine. I still love being able to give people a small stage to have a snapshot of a game, even if they find it interesting and no, nobody else will. Uh, it still is fun to me. I totally agree with you, and I can't wait to watch. I think we're gonna. There's gonna be some really fun and interesting stuff, and it's only ten minutes. How are you gonna get bored of ten minutes? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, if we're if we're not bored at that point, then you're probably gonna be good to go for <laughs> yeah. a little while longer. Exactly. Yeah. In addition, I think I'm going to start working on Rad Gravity for speedrunning, mm. which is a really bad NES game, but I love it. Gong Zero, speedrunning Gong Show. That's exactly what I was thinking, Gong Zero. But yeah, we date that, ourselves when we make that reference. <laughs> well, no, no. It, it, it's essentially what we've been thinking of. Everybody knows Gong Show okay. to one degree or another. And it, it'll be essentially like that. But because speedrunning is such a different thing and a lot of runs can take a few minutes to get into it, you know, we're not going to gong after one minute, 10 minutes. After 10 minutes, gong. There's got to be a game. There's got to be a game you can gong after one minute. I'm sure it's out there. <laughs> Well, yeah, Pink Jelly for the NES, the most boring game that exists. <laughs> I've never heard of this one. Now I have to go watch this. this sounds well, weird. that's because it's a crappy bootleg that has absolutely no inspiration, okay? It's not fun to play. <laughs> Once again, there's, not fun. There's no enjoyment. So... <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so um, you know, as we start to wrap this thing up, somebody did ask Quasi, um, how does one like apply, or how would they get involved in Cusa Grande if they wanted to participate in the future? In general, you know, because we have signups usually towards the end of the year, I would say best thing is to follow me on Twitter or join the Cusa Grande Discord. It's just, I believe, Discord.gg/CusaGrande. We'll always have announcements there. I have announcements on uh, on Twitch as well. So, you know, the, if you are joining the community and talking to people around it, we'll definitely talk about signups. <laughs> Gogas, does uh, bro have a sound effect picked out yet for... <laughs> I've been working on that, yeah, okay? Yeah. I'm also working on graphics. <laughs> hey, uh, well, it's kind of a whole thing. Look at this. That's great. You gotta have graphics, okay? <laughs> I, I love the Cusa Grande logo. I think it's awesome. Uh, speaking of that, where would people watch Cusa Grande? Where can they find you? Where can they watch your stream if they're interested? Over at twitch.tv slash brosentia. Uh, yeah. No, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. I don't know what I was going to say. Oh, dang it. It's going to be something. I just ruined the thought. No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shame on you. <laughs> dang it. <laughs> I will say... Do yourself a favor too and follow him on Twitter because as I mentioned, it's it's really great stuff. Uh, bro doesn't mind commenting on things that are happening in our community and stuff like that. And I appreciate his openness and willingness to discuss with people as civil as a discussion as you can have on Twitter. He engages on Twitter, which I really do appreciate as well. I think that's pretty cool. I try to keep things civil. Mostly. <laughs> Mostly. Yeah. Unless people are being turds and then, you know, there's not those you know, some people are just like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it takes a lot of work to know who's going to be a troll and who's not. And I think even the the greatest internet wizards are going to fall for that trick every once in a while, you know? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I know, man. Uh, and on that upbeat note, thank you so much for <laughs> uh, taking the time and going through all this stuff. It's been really a joy and a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching. If you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe, leave a review. All those things go a long way to helping out the podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, I'm on Twitter at LatMackie, or you can also join the LatMackie Discord, where we have a sequence break channel. We talk about guests. We have questions. It's really interactive, really fun. Please feel free to stop on by. Thanks so much. See you in the next one.